Hello and welcome to Nodes and Biscuits, a Godot game dev podcast. Today I invite Lisandro for an episode where we first talk about what working at W for Games is like, and then we spend the rest of it looking at open source, but also Godot-specific issues. Alessandro, <laughs> um, thank you for joining me, and uh, you know, from the very get-go, um, who are you and what do you do? Okay, uh, so basically, um, currently I'm working on the special projects team at W4 Games, uh, formerly the demo team. And basically, well, I guess most of the people listening will have some idea of uh, of who we are, but otherwise it's a company that's, uh, that was uh, funded by uh, Godot veterans, including like uh, Juan Lignetsky, the Godot founder, Raimi, the project maintainer, basically like, like a lot of high-profile people in, in Godot. And the idea is to cover uh, basically a lot of the, let's say, corporate services, basically everything that that's like too complex in, in whatever aspect for the foundation to cover, whether it's uh, um, legal stuff like console support, or maybe just a matter of uh, of uh, funds or or mission. Uh, so that's basically what W4 does, and we have a number of uh, services like the console support, as I mentioned, uh, cloud services if you want to do anything involving multiplayer, um, like corporate support. And well, what what do I do there? Because I, I come from uh, basically game prim, gameplay programming mostly. So we have a, a small uh, demo team that basically uh, creates all the, uh, on the one hand, the dog footing of all our services. So it's basically, okay, we are going to create games that are going to work. Uh, they serve several roles. So on the one hand, it's it's dog footing. It's like, okay, uh, is this API that our users um, can use that? Does it make sense? Uh, do we have any any bugs? I mean, uh, everything. So the idea is that by the time it, it gets to um, to a closed beta or, or whatever, we, we have done some sort of uh, internal testing and, and iteration. So that's one thing. Another thing is, of course, uh, that having a demo that, uh, that our users can have as a reference. Okay, yeah, this is like, okay, I have the documentation, but I also have this open source uh, demo that shows how it works, that shows that, that, that also shows that it works correctly as, uh, and as expected. Uh, so basically it's, it's all of that. And of course, a bit of uh, having something to, to show that's a bit more uh, shiny, let's say that a bunch of, uh, of documentation and uh, API calls, <laughs> right? So, so, so if, it's awesome that you can say, okay, we have this like super uh, cool cloud service, but if we can show that with an amazing game, or, or at least a, a small demo that looks that looks cool and, and and looks fun to play, people can already see it. Oh, okay, this is this is interesting. I have something to to already see how 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 it works. So that's mostly what uh, what we do there. I. I come from, basically, I used to work as an illustrator and animation, but I always like I like programming too. So I ended up uh, working on uh, Doing both. game design and basically, but more the prototyping type of, of game design because I, I liked actually like coding stuff, um, game feel, 
So like like a very hands-on game designer, not not like just um, you know the the more excellent number crunching part of game design that you also that you also have this is more like the trying stuff and 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 see and see how how it works uh so i did that for a mobile games company and and well eventually uh after like working as a, um, a freelancer for a while i, I ended up um here in, in w4 games what was the freelance experience like uh basically um uh upwork fiber so those services and it's like okay i'm a good old developer there weren't that many people uh back then this is like uh 2019 uh more or less till uh 2022 uh basically and i was also teaching at a tech college um here in, in, in argentina where, where i live so it was like a, a bit of both and it was interesting that like um i worked for a, for a company creating hyper casual games uh i worked uh for several clients who were like um like from people who, who worked at big tech companies and were curious about Godot and wanted to do some some uh personal project uh small games small apps so a bit of uh, everything, uh, and then a lot of it in, uh, ended up being like consultancy and classes. So uh, it ended up being like a hundred percent teaching in, in the end. Right. Uh, right. So I had like several students, and at that time I didn't have like any more time to take on projects. So I was like that until I started working full time. Awesome, awesome. And um, also from the websites that you mentioned that you were doing uh, freelancing on or you had experience with, is there a specific platform that you would recommend? I have a good experience with uh, both, fortunately. Oh, uh, awesome. They have a very different approach. It might, it might have changed by, by now. It has been a, a couple of years. Uh, but basically, uh, Upwork, Upwork is uh, mostly... Um, you have clients that want something done and they will post basically, okay, I need this to be done. I need a, I don't know, a good old professional, I need a programmer, uh, whatever. And then basically you, you can uh, write to them with your proposal. Okay, uh, this is the budget that I think uh, we're going to need. They, they can tell you, okay, I have this, this amount of, of money. Okay, I'll do it for X x mount right. so that the client chooses between all the all the proposals right um that, that that's upwork and then there are like many details on how you work like you can work per hour per project with milestones so have a lot of uh a lot of customization options and then fiverr it's aimed more at uh what they call gigs so basically you you post your gigs and for example mine uh was uh good old lessons so yeah i have ah, like okay okay the, stand, I see. the okay. standard is uh one lesson it's this price and it covers uh this depth of of uh knowledge or, or questions and then maybe the premium one is okay i'll help you with the general architecture of your project uh and it will be like nine hours that you can distribute uh in any way you like and depending on what you choose uh it already knows what details to uh, to ask you about. So, so it, it, it's not that you have to type everything. If you say classes, 
it's gonna say, okay, do you want to offer like an extra hour for for this amount? Uh, how long are they? If you offer illustrations, they okay. Do you do you include the editable files or just the uh, the exported uh, PNGs? Uh, do you, are you giving ownership of the editable file to your client? So it, it knows a lot depending on what what specifically uh, specifically you are offering as a as a game. So that that's the main difference. In one, you offer your services, and in the other one, people uh, look for you and basically you reply to a specific project I see. but so, so it they, also happens that so yeah. they work in fundamentally different ways but both at the end provide you with an ability to um work for well you know um, offer your services at the end of the day right right you know utilize what you're good at um what about platform fees i don't know if that's under any kind of nda but um is no, are, really. are, they, are they are they both on the same level do they both take the same cut what are the cuts there uh i think it's it was about the same. Can't remember exactly. Um, basically, uh, Fiverr. I think it takes less. So mm -hmm. Fiverr, Upwork, Upwork, Upwork. I think if you work with the same clients uh, over and over, so eventually it's like, okay, we are not really providing any service because you already know that client, and uh, I mean, we're no longer providing that much value to you. Uh, we nice have the platform. Them. That's yeah. That we have the platform. The platform has many useful features, but the, the key value that is connecting you with uh, clients uh, is no longer there. So they start charging you less uh, the more you charge your customers. So let's say like when you reach like I don't know one thousand dollars, the fees become much smaller than at the beginning. For example, can, I, I can I remember exactly if they start at like ten percent or fifteen percent. It might have changed uh, by now, uh, but it was uh, kind of like like that. Yeah, and Fiverr, I think, had a fixed uh, fixed fee. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, a fixed exactly. fee! That's incredible. So it doesn't matter how high it is; they just give you a flat fee. I, yeah, my 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 have changed. I, yeah, yeah. You mentioned this was 2019, 2020, right? You know, it's, it's been a it's been a while. Yeah, I haven't, it's easy haven't to change any of it. Yeah, I haven't, been, haven't had time to to actually offer offer that like time or need uh, honestly to to offer that in, in a while. I like teaching, so if I have the time, maybe I'll I'll do it uh, mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, but yeah, you know, platforms change all the time because they they are competing with with each other. So maybe yeah, I'll, I'll tell you twenty uh, percent, and then you go there and it's already you check it out. It's fifty, and you go what. Alessandro lied. Yeah. Oh no! I'll have to let him know. Yeah. Let's ban him. But yeah. <laughs> if I knew we were talking about this, maybe I can say, "Hey, no, can I get no. a promo code?" That's a, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Why not? That's actually a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, uh, let, let's come back to the demo team that you're on. So you're saying that you're yeah. doing a lot of gameplay programming and game designing, the hands hands-on gameplay game feel kind of um, game designing where you also implement it. Um, are, are these demos open? Are all of these demos open source? Or uh, are any the ones of them? That are, mm -hmm. Yeah, the ones that are not open source are usually the ones that uh, we haven't finished yet. The idea is uh, open sourcing uh, as much as we can. Uh, so it takes time because for now we are a small team. So we have our... Um, uh, game designer and project manager. Uh, we have an artist, and then 
I'm uh, the programmer and it's like a three person team. And then we have uh, people from um, from the company that also uh, help us with, with different stuff. For example, for uh, Planet Crashers, which was a multiplayer game, uh, we have someone from the company who work on um, basically all the all the multiplayer elements, mostly. Like I, I, I focused mo mostly on getting the gameplay working and he made it basically work online. That's awesome. I need a person I mean, we, in we, my life. We, I mean, we, <laughs> we tried to think about it uh, from the start, so it's not like, okay, here's the game, uh, make it work uh, online. But near the end, was a bit, it was a bit like that. It was like, okay, add a feature, feature, features. <laughs> we need to get this working. And then, okay, now it needs to work online. And maybe some, some parts of the game I wasn't uh thinking okay how is this gonna synchronize so we have to That's take fun. a look at it as if there was a checkbox uh, and... for multiplayer <laughs> yeah but fortunately uh i mean the the multiplayer is is not checkbox but it's uh quite easy to to implement i really with, need with to get like into those. making a multiplayer game really i really need to try this out because people have been telling me that, that it's not as Difficult as you may think, however, to get a game to a production level where it works reliably in all sorts of situations, that is still difficult, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you having a cube on two windows that is synchronized, that's uh, super easy. It's basically like saying, okay, uh, these properties synchronize them every frame, and these properties synchronize them on initialization. And that works uh, really well, uh, and it's really simple. But yeah, then you get to all the details. Okay, what happens if uh, the connection is laggy and then dropping packages, uh, or I don't know, uh, if I have to send like very complex data, okay, maybe it's too much data that I'm uh, sending. I have to uh, approach uh, the, the sign off of like my, my code in a, in, a, in a different way so that doesn't have to go over the network. So it's basically the same problems that you are going to have with any multiplayer game on any engine. But some of the problems that you would have, which is designing all the, the actual architecture to, to send and receive data and, and, and actually synchronize uh, the state, right. that is mostly handled by, by the engine. And, and the service that we offer builds on top of that. So... Uh, it's basically we we make uh, make a general good old multiplayer game, and then on top of that, we can add uh, our stuff. Right, right. If you if you can hear any weird noises, it's my dog. It's sleeping on the bed, and and it's um, it's dreaming about things. Right, yeah. So about about <laughs> the no multiplayer. Problem. Same thing here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if keep... you hear banging on the door, that's that's the girl. That's girls. the dog. Okay. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> the dog is sleeping. Right, sleepwalking. Um, right, 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 right. And uh, in terms of these demos, right, so in terms of these demos, uh, uh, if you send me the links afterwards, I'll put them in the description as well. That's going to be super cool. Um, sure. One very interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about the demos as well is when you... Are, I imagine that a really cool part and a really cool aspect of your, you know, of, of what happens in your job... Is that is that if you find something, you can report it right away, right? You know, you, you go through that usual route um, of creating an issue. For example, if it's a bug, right, you, you go into that. Have, have there been, um, you know, because I make games that are 
dominantly 3D. Um, yeah. you've, you, you've made a 3D game, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we, I remember uh, one project, at least, that was done in yeah, 3D. Yeah. We made a 3D demo for um, Kurokan. Uh, it was, uh, at that point, it was mostly just walking around. Mm -hmm. And we're having some, some gameplay for GDC, so that's what I'm uh, working right now. And we, before Planet Crashers, which was the, the second project, we were working on something that was also um, oh. 3D and that kind of got cancelled. So I don't know how much can I talk about, uh, but uh, I'd, I'd love to have some time at some point to at least uh, be able to show, okay, we work on, uh, on yeah. this. And yeah. because some be parts really are kind of kind of working. At, I don't know. Maybe we'll be able to, to show it some point i don't oh, know sure i look forward to uh, it definitely let me know and, and that was with good old four point uh zero i think beta oh, so yeah you were really testing it weren't you yeah really so we were it. basically uh facing every single bug from beta and and before that i i used um 4.0 alpha uh at um at lone wolf lone wolf technologies oh, yes uh so so yeah i've encountered quite, quite a few uh facts and have to, that was to report uh, that was bleeding edge wasn't it <laughs> yeah really? i remember yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. Very... sometimes it was a bit painful you know oh but yeah it, yeah it i remember of, those days but, but when you've got yeah. alphas betas you know you, you sort of you expect it right the very first version yeah. that we made of the game that we're working on now was in 4.0 beta 3 i think and it was in 3d I was super excited about SDFGI. So the first thing I did, I installed it, clicked the button, error spam, and go, I can live with this. So long as it looks good, I can live with this. But <laughs> like you say, um, living it, living on the edge with the bleeding edge versions, you encounter issues, that's fine. But um, I wanted to ask, with, uh, uh, with the demo that you, for example, worked on for Godokon, by the way, great talk. Um, I think uh, you were showing it, weren't you, together with your colleague, yeah, yeah, that was uh, for the project manager and game designer and me. Nice, yeah. yeah. Um, were there any specific workflow issues that you found between Blender and Godot that you identified and then, you know, you, you either found a way of working around them? Um, this is a common question also on Reddit that I find when, when there are people working with Blender and Godot. They very often ask, you know, what's the best way of working with models? So what was your workflow there? Uh, yeah, I don't know if ours was the best, but it was <laughs> what we what we what we had. Basically, we had uh, an old scene that was from a from a very old uh, project that uh, our three D artist uh, was working for uh, for Godot, and that was like a huge, uh, very detailed castle. And initially, we were going to do something, something else, like something from scratch. And then, like we tried to, to when we were like uh, analyzing the scope and the time we had, is okay. Uh, we're probably not gonna make it in time if we have to make everything from scratch. We have this, uh, this pretty nice uh, looking scene, uh, so we can use uh, that. And. The issue we had with that is that it was like a monolithic giant uh, Blender file. 
basically. Yeah. And of course, yeah. it was it also was uh, created a long time ago, so uh, the artist had learned a lot by that time, and uh, so so it was a lot of time was spent on like cleaning up a lot of stuff uh, as much as <laughs> as we could, and um, and yeah, that workflow. What we found out is, for example, when Blender exports as uh, GLTF uh, files. Um, the problem that you have is if you have anything with modifiers, so like you have a mesh, like a column, and you have that column repeated a hundred times, mm -hmm. but you have some modifier apply. I think in our case was something like uh, weighted normals, okay. right? So if you don't apply that modifier, you get a mesh without the modifier. It's not, it's not what you want. You want the, the mesh that you're seeing in Blender. You want right. that, right? Okay. So if you apply the modifier, uh, there is an issue reported in the Blender exported, uh, exporter. Uh, it cannot tell that it's the same uh, mesh. Like it says, okay, I have this mesh and I will apply the modifier. It will create a new mesh. I will save it as mesh one. Then I see exactly the same mesh, but I'm not really sure if it's going to result in exactly the same, even though everything is the same, but it doesn't check. It doesn't, uh, because it's not as trivial as it sounds. Uh, it would have to check, okay, does it have exactly the same modifier stack with exactly the same values? Because that's not, that's not something you, uh, when you create a like, um, link duplicate, that is not linked on the, the modifier stack. So we could have different values or a different order of modifiers or, or whatever. So wow. it's not that easy to, to know if they're exactly the same. Okay. So basically you have mesh two, mesh three, four, five. So you have a hundred meshes that are exactly the same uh, vertices, exactly the same mesh a uh, hundred times. And then you have to load that in, in memory. Right, but, so, but, but are, are all of those messi uh, meshes joined into a single mesh with a lot of geometry, or are they as are they imported as separate objects? They are imported as uh, separate objects. Uh, we also needed with uh, no we also needed way. that if really we, yeah, does this does this still happen? Because I I sometimes still use modifiers in my Blender scenes, and that seems. I think I apply all of my array modifiers already in Blender. Okay, never mind. I mean, you, you can, yeah, you can fuse them. But in our case, uh, we did them uh, separate because uh, we also wanted to do uh, LOD. And so so we wanted that as uh, separate uh, meshes, Absolutely. but we don't yeah. want it duplicate meshes. Uh, yes. So what most people do in, in, in those cases is like either, uh, if, if you can, you fuse them all together, as you, as you said, uh, but in that case, anyway, you end up with the duplicated vertices because you have the same mesh, uh, the same column, like repeated in the, in the same building that maybe it's only one giant mesh, but you have tons of vertices that are essentially the same. And if you could have exactly the same mesh, the same reference to the same mesh, uh, you can also tell the renderer to batch that automatically because yes. in, in Godot 4, you don't, you don't need to create um, a multi-mesh instance uh, if you have exactly the same uh, mesh, it, it already batches that. Uh, it's it's kind of smart in that way. So um, that's a very that, important information, by the way. Is there anything special you need to do to set that up, or does Godot do it automatically? That when anything references the same mesh, it just batches it. I don't know the ex I don't know the details, but I think mm. it's like if you if you create a scene and you duplicate that, and it has a mesh instance, and that mesh instance is basically contains exactly the same, like it's the same uh, mesh with the same materials. I I think uh, that gets uh, batched as a as as if you awesome. were creating a 
um, basically a multi-mesh instance. Uh, so basically we created a, uh, a script that um, we did several iterations of how to automate that on an import script. So after the scene is imported in, in Blender, uh, we can evaluate uh, that mesh information. Uh, what I ended up doing is basically hashing the mesh data and then like building a dictionary of scene meshes. So, okay, I've already seen a mesh that hashes to exactly the same thing. And I know we're like 2000 meshes and it took three seconds or six seconds on import only. So for me, it was- That's actually super was good. Wow, that's good. Fast. It was good enough, right? I mean, if, if that were on runtime, it would be super slow, but I, I don't care. I, I mean, uh, in actually importing the GLDF file took much longer than that. So yeah. uh, three seconds is nothing. So that that worked well. And um, there are some some improvements that, that can be added, but it worked well. Um, and the other thing that we wanted to add, we didn't get to, to actually use it in time. I got it working in time for GetOcon, like the, the, the very last day, uh, <laughs> just in time for the talk. I'm very happy. Uh, was, yeah, uh, was basically, um, you know, how, how when you use Blender with, with Godot, you have these uh, import hints that you can add to the name of your uh, Blender nodes. Oh, so I love you can those, like, yes. You know, you can say like, okay, com convert this into like uh, a static body and add a collider uh, or whatever, or this is a collider or don't uh, don't import uh, all this section, uh, etc. And those are like suffixes you add to the name of the of the yeah. node. So that's fine for simple stuff, but you, you cannot put a, a database inside a, a name, right? right? So what if you wanted to to automate uh, a bit more and do some, some custom stuff for, for your game? Like, I don't know, uh, for example, uh, you want the... In our case, uh, our wor workflow was um, very art-driven. So it's not like maybe like an FPS where you would create a library of, of meshes, and then you would build everything inside the engine. Uh, this is more like uh, what you would do for, a, I don't know, maybe like a walking simulator where app direction has a lot of control and you don't really care about one thing being here and there, but you want the artist to be able to see stuff in context. So it was really important for us that, that uh, Ferrer 3D artists could work uh, in the app that he felt comfortable with, and that was Blender. So I wanted him to be able to build the level in in Blender and then we just import it uh, as a as a single file. So we thought, well, what if we want more? What if we want, uh, for example, I don't know, like uh, being able to define uh, what sound uh, um, footsteps make uh, depending on the material? And what if we want to define that in, in Blender? Or what if we want to say, okay, this file, uh, replace it by, like this mesh, replace it by uh, an instance of scene XYZ, uh, which is breakable or, or something like that. Right? Because usually you have uh, a person that, that does that by hand, like goes, okay, I have to replace this, I have to replace that. Okay, here I have to put some particles. Uh, so you, you have to do all that in engine. It's like, how, can we automate that uh, for Blender? For and, and maybe people say, no, it's, it's a, an awful workflow. And maybe some, some people will say, yeah, I, I could work with something like that. You know, but we, you have very different uh, developers. Like some are more art inclined and would love something like that. 
uh, some some people do everything in code and basically like like you open uh, the, the project and it's like an empty scene with a giant script <laughs> you know very different uh, people with very different needs so it's like okay let let's see if it works and uh, it was very painful to get that working uh, there were a number of uh, edge cases but basically what what we did is uh, you have um, the cast custom properties in Blender. So for every node or almost every data type in Blender, anything you can click on basically has uh, in its properties, you have it uh, right at the very end, you have custom properties. And that's basically a key value store. You you type a name for a property and you can say, okay, it's a Boolean, it's an integer, it's a float, uh, it's a string. So like a and dictionary. That's it's right. just, it is exactly that. So if you check the GLD file, it's a JSON dictionary. Mm. That, uh, and that's it. And that's I said, okay, well, Godot has, uh, Godot has uh, metadata. So it has the, you know, like uh, if you don't need a script and just want to, if you just want to store some data in a node, or I think it, it works at the object level, uh, if you want to store some extra uh, data and you don't want to create a script and an export properties just for that, uh, you you can use like set meta, get meta. Super useful. And you have the same. Set meta is super useful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically the same functionality because you have a key value store. Absolutely. And say, okay, that looks very similar. Uh, Blender has nodes, Godot has uh, nodes. So uh, can we make it work like that? Um, and yeah, it was basically creating a uh, GLTF importer extension or. or something like that is it's calling in Godot and uh, making it basically translate uh, that uh, those GLTF extras into Godot uh, metadata. Um, That's awesome. As I said, with some, yeah, with some edge cases and um, uh, I mean, it was not, not perfect, but now there is someone actually working on a PR to have that as a built-in feature uh, in the engine. And of course, there is always like those long discussions of okay, what's the best way to to do it? Should do we include this? Do, do we include that? What about this and that? So basically, all that I had to deal with uh, and more uh, to get it uh, working in the eight or I don't know. I hope it it gets uh, accepted and merged because uh, I think that can be useful for uh, for many people. No, that is super useful. When I imagine that I could okay, so this is a two split problem for me. First of all, if I imagine that I could define, right, you know, I make 3D games, so using 3D objects from Blender or being able to define more in Blender is fantastic, right? Because it means that I can create infrastructure in the game engine that, you know, makes use of this metadata. But um, the other issue is that I would find this more useful if I am working in the Blender file with multiple objects. But working, for me anyway, working with Blender files where there are multiple objects is a bit painful. Because if I want to drag out a mesh, use it somewhere else, it gets disconnected, it gets duplicated. If I want to use just a specific thing from this Blender file somewhere else, again, you know, it's a bit cumbersome. So if both of these things were solved yeah. somehow, I'd be in heaven. Well, one nice uh, thing about the actual PR to, to have this in the engine is that uh, the person okay. that uh, implemented uh, thought, okay, if we have import, we should have export too, because Godot does export. You can take a Godot scene and like you can uh, do uh, some blocking for level 
and export that as a GLTF file. And you can have your artist uh, work on that. So Blender also has automation tools. You, you, you can use Python to, to automate stuff in Blender. So what if we could add good old uh, node metadata? What if we could do it the other way around? Turn that into uh, custom properties in Blender. So maybe uh, you can write, uh, create some scripts for your 3D artist and it can automate stuff. Right, yeah. so so you you can you can tag stuff in Ingo and that becomes uh, auto automatic stuff in in Blender. Basically, no, sure, sure. I still think that the most useful thing is going to be Blender to Godot, but I do see the use case yeah. that you, that you, that you're describing here. <laughs> also, in the future, oh, I would love for there to be some sort of a direct link, like a real time direct link that you can open up a. Can you imagine this? You, you imagine that you open a Blender file in Blender and you can see it updating real time in Godot. And uh, oh, and then geometry nodes, for example, if this was combined geometry nodes and you could be running all of that and in real time it updates in, in, in Godot, yeah. that'd be wild. I've only seen one prototype where someone did this. Um, there was a link between Unity and Maya. And oh, they built a tool between Unity and Maya. And as you were editing a model in Maya, uh, Autodesk Maya, it was updating it real time in Unity and it looked super good. But yeah, I don't know how useful it is. Uh, to me, it, it just looks super fancy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, everything that makes uh, iteration faster, for me, it's uh, the way to go. Uh, mm. I mean, that sound, sounds complex because you cannot re-export the whole thing. Like for, for a small file, it could work. For a big file, uh, exporting as GLTF, then importing to Godot as a scene, it takes takes a while. So it has to be some direct communication like uh, Blender telling Godot, I moved this and yeah. Godot, okay, I know what you moved and I will move it uh, uh, yeah. on my end. But for so, that, there needs to be a robust system, right? That can communicate this yeah. way. And a, and a super yeah. interesting thing you mentioned there about iteration time. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head there because the iteration speed basically means that you're removing paper cuts, right? Those little small things that take a time away. One of those things, um, again, you know, since we're talking so much about 3D, um, in, in, in 3D is when I've got a Blender file, it's got multiple meshes and I... I am perfectly fine with working with that one bigger Blender file and I want to save them separately. Um, you know, you need to go into the asset importer window and then say, yes, save this mesh externally, define the path. And then every time you click define the path, it doesn't remember the folder. <laughs> you have to go back to the same folder again. Yeah, and, and this gets a bit cumbersome. If just this process, this one process was made easier, the iteration time would just increase immediately then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, basically um, usability rough edges. Uh, I think both, both in Blender and in, in Godot. Uh, I agree. And I, I think it's mostly like you have, uh, I, I think we, we were discussing this uh, uh, privately, but, but oh, you know, like, yes. uh, as, as I said, um, in open source, like you have a majority of, of engineers. It's mostly like programmers that, that think, okay, I'm gonna make something cool and, and they end up being the majority of, of the project. So you, you, 
you know, it's it's like artists uh, or, or people from other fields don't get involved as often. Uh, it's like very dominated by by engineers. Uh, everything that that's open source, and sometimes you can you can feel that because yeah, you have some some ways. Maybe a an amazing engineer that can code a feature in the in the best way will be performant. Uh, it will be super flexible, but they are not necessarily the person that knows how to expose that uh, to the users, or, or they maybe don't uh, know exactly. I mean, of course, they don't know exactly how, how it's going to be used, but maybe they don't have that much experience needing to use that that feature, like using that as a user. They have experience uh, building that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, I love this point, so it, view, it, by it, the way. Love it, yeah. So, so it, it's what you say. I am... Um, an anecdote that I that I always uh, remember is: uh, uh, Do you know? Well, I think it's still uh, there. You know about the Opera browser? Yes. Well, uh, basically, Opera had uh, tabs from like I think before anyone else, and basically at some point they decided. Uh, so basically, you you could if you had empty space, you could right click and uh, you had a context menu to click on a new tab, like on every every other browser. And they decided, okay, what if you have a lot of tabs open, you don't have any more empty space? Okay, we'll add like a couple pixels at the very top of the of the window, and you can always click there to have a context menu. And that sounded super nice, but the problem is. Usually, what you want to do when you want to close a tab, like you flick your mouse, let it hit the basically hit the wall, basically hit the edge of the of the screen, and you know it's gonna be there, and you can always like right click or or do whatever. So uh, now you have to like be very careful to stop your mouse your mouse before uh, it reached that that part. Otherwise, you won't be clicking on the tab; you will be clicking on that. Uh, like tiny bit of title bar. So instead of uh, dragging it around, you will be tra dragging the whole window. And it's such tiny change. Uh, but it's maybe so hard to, to visualize it if you Absolutely. don't, if you're it not a user. It sounds great on paper. It sounds fantastic on paper. Yeah. It solves the issue and it's a design solution that, that causes a minimal change. But, you know, yeah, just like you say, unless you're the user, unless you've seen someone use it, it can be hard to... Imagine exactly what's going to happen. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do, would you say that this is something that happens often dominantly in open source? I think it happens more often in open source because, mm. as I say, you have a, a majority of, uh, of uh, engineers and you don't often have like uh, UX, UI people, like dedicated uh, people. Um, and it's and so far it's usually thought of as more as tools than uh, experiences and, and products. It's like useful tools. It's more like uh, um, like a tools that you use to build your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While yeah, yeah. companies, since they have a pressure to to basically uh, sell, they they are always thinking in okay, what's the experience gonna be like? If you think of Apple, they. Uh, they are always like thinking, how is it gonna feel to the user? I'm, 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 and you might like it or you might hate it. Like, like sometimes I, I really hate some decisions that that Apple makes. Uh, uh, but I think yeah. that uh, I think that uh, Jobs got that part right. That that people uh, really care about data. How how does it feel when I use the software? Um, how does it uh, the 
tasks that I do often are they easy to do? Like, does the app reduce friction in every possible in every possible way? Uh, is it is it thought that way? That does it uh, take into account what are the the most uh, like the, the hot paths for the user because you you know programmers can think about that it's like okay I have this software I had to make it performant so this is the the nice clean way that the, that everything should be arranged but I know that this way is not as clean but it will be faster because I take into account that most of the time this will take a lot of uh, yeah. computing yeah. power well but you have to to think about the same thing for the user is like okay yeah this is the really beautiful taxonomy of how you can lay out your user interface but uh maybe it's not taking into account what people do with the software most often so if if i do something all the time i don't want to have to be moving the mouse uh all around the screen clicking on menus and sub menus and sub menus and, and that's what, what you said about okay i have to set the path every time i doesn't remember the last use folder since that like really small things that change the experience a lot if i think i had the same issue with what was it um yeah animated uh sprites you know that the animated sprites, uh, you, you can have a sprite sheet and yep. it's like a four by two sprite sheet. And it wouldn't remember, like if I open the same sprite sheet, it wouldn't remember, it would always say four by four. And that, that, that made me mad because like- Oh, I can imagine. Usually, like why four by four? Like why why four? Like could be any, any number. So why not uh, like give me one by one. So when I have like a, a strip, uh, frames like all horizontal or all, all uh, vertical, which is also common. I only have to modify one number. So <laughs> no, you have to like if you have four in a row, you have to remove <laughs> one of the numbers and then fix the other. Uh, you oh, know? That's and a paper cut right there. A, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little thing, but it's tiny change. Time. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's like it's the sum of all those tiny things that can can make or break the the experience. Oh, absolutely, and it's, absolutely, it's really hard to. You know, this uh, this really makes me remember that one quote from an an English writer, an, an older one, um, who said, excuse the length of this letter, I didn't have enough time to make it short. <laughs> right, where, so I, I, I love that idea. And, and to me, that quote is what UX is. If you have enough, if you spend enough time and you put in the effort to try to understand what this letter or your application is trying to achieve, you are capable of delivering the end result with smaller amount of necessary effort from the user to achieve the same result. So we, we all know this. We can write essays that are super long and say nothing. And then at the same time, you can write two sentences that deliver a lot of information. Just like in menus, you can create seven menus that do the same thing. Where you have to go from a menu to a submenu to a submenu to a submenu to a pop-up window to a button. Or it can be just a single list of icons. One such change. And I, I basically completely agree with everything you just said here. And I love it, really. Um, one such change that I remember was, do you, do you remember how the anchors menu changed from 3.x to 4.x? Do you remember that difference? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. And that to me was uh, such a lovely UX advancement, right? 
It's so much easier to find the one that you're looking for. It makes contextual sense. You know, top right corner is in the top right corner. Finally, before that, it was a vertical list of basically identical looking icons. It took a, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. And another thing I noticed is that usually, like when you're working on a feature, uh, it's very common that your implementation details end up bubbling up all the way to basically the API and the user interface. Like if you, you know how it works internally and it's usually easier to make it in a certain way uh, because the, the the code to make it work is not that that hard, you know. It, it's it's simpler, so uh, that ends up. If if you also do the the the, the user interface for for your feature, uh, that's uh, a, a really common problem. So sometimes you have to like, okay, you prototype it, you know that it works, you know how, what it's gonna do, but then you have to look. I did from the other side, it's like, okay, I'm a user that has never used that, that feature. I have no, no idea how, how it works. Don't expect people to, to read the documentation, oh, uh, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, that, that's like the, the, the crutch if you, if you cannot get it to work right uh, intuitively. So it's like, okay, uh, I find this. What am I going to do? What, what do I want to do? What's comfortable to me to do? And that, then after trying to to imagine that or using the feature a bit, it's like, okay, so the experience has to be a bit different. And you might need, to, like the code might be harder uh, to, to implement uh, because you have like a lot more uh, edge cases uh, because you're thinking on more on the, like, okay, the user wants to be able to do this. Oh, it's not that easy. It was easier if I have them like, I don't know, type a number and press enter. And then it's- <laughs> Best it, solution it, ever. No, no, they want to like drag and drop, and while they are dragging, they want to preview the result or something like that. You know, I'm saying something like very abstract, but uh, you get the idea. Absolutely, like, that's what I'm Break what I want to do, yes. Yeah, it's much harder to to code, but in in the end, uh, you get what uh, what the user um, what makes the user more productive, basically. Yeah. Well, okay, okay. Here's the thing, and I'm super. I'm actually, I just remembered one uh, proposal from the Godot, um, a Godot improvements proposal repository. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, Godot has a, has a repo online called the Godot improvement proposals, where anyone can post a proposal that they have an idea for. If they have an implementation in mind, they can create an issue already that's got a template. If you do not have an implementation in mind, you can start a discussion around it so that someone can come in with an implementation and create that issue. And then from that, a PR can be created if there is enough support. Now, a very interesting one that I remember, and I'm, 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 I'm so curious what your point of view on this one is going to be, Alexandro. What do you think about moving any panel anywhere? Um, what's your take on this one? Uh, I don't know. I guess, I mean, as a user, that would be like super, super cool. Uh, I don't know how, how easy it is to, to make it work in a nice way. Like for, for example, the inspector assumes that it's going to be vertical. Like everything is arranged in, in, in that way, the property inspector. So if you put it at the bottom, uh, 
how does it work? Does it have to create several columns? Like how, what, what's the layout? Uh, it now has to like uh, adapt to well, different, uh, well, so, so you, you can make it work, but it, it's, it's a lot more work. So I don't know I what you, what you even, say. I wouldn't even think about it that way. I would, I would just think about it from the perspective of it doesn't do anything extra. It just lets you put any tab and, and put it anywhere. Just like that, right? Because for example, for example, imagine you have a vertical monitor. You have like a, so for example, yeah. I have an ultra wide. If I put my ultra wide vertically, I'd have a shit ton of vertical space available to me, right? And <laughs> I could do a lot of, you know, um, horizontally placed the horizontally placed tabs that should require um, more vertical space, and I could still do that on a monitor like this. Yeah. Mm, I think what what the contributors are gonna say about that is that they're gonna think, <laughs> hey. How many people, like how much of our user base will do that? And how much uh, time and effort is that uh, going to cost us? And like, who's going to maintain that new feature? Because uh, down the line, uh, we might need to maintain that. So I guess that that's why like, a lot of proposals like uh, get shut down. Because I completely in the end, I completely understand uh, that. Like, yes. You have like uh, hundreds of people uh, like having ideas and some of those ideas are, are really good. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's really hard to accommodate everyone. And you have a small pool of people that are the ones that, that are usually uh, working on the editor because it's also easy to say, okay, I, I have this PR, I have this feature that, that works great. And then they say, oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's really good. And then you disappear. So yeah. they and have this new feature and no one, yeah, who's going well, to, but, but, but because, still, oh, I got I mean, bored. I, it was, it was fun making it, implementing it, but now maintaining <laughs> it, that's really boring. Yeah. It's a pain. It's a pain. Imagine, so now I, <laughs> imagine that you make a feature that you implement something in a way that decreases the amount of maintaining that you need to do in the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I imagine that. that's <laughs> ideal and I don't know if that's ever possible. Because sometimes, sometimes it seems like with the growth of uh, of software, it, it 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 does become possible, but only after a, a certain amount of refactoring, where you move enough systems around to accommodate that. But regardless, yeah. So as a user, though, would you welcome that you can move any tab anywhere? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I I don't know how, how much uh, I would use it, but. but but yeah, sometimes uh, and working on, on small screens, I I oh, like find it difficult to to you know, okay, why is this on the bar? I, you... I would prefer that panel to be on you know, some some other place that can be. Now that's we have thing. floating panels. That that's that's also good. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, one thing that immediately strikes me as a thing that personally I would do right away is I would move all of the panels from the bottom the side because again i have an ultra wide but you know um the, you know the console where it prints out your prints and whatnot whatever is happening i would definitely put that on the side because i always have my game window uh set as top level so that i can be changing things in the inspector as my game is running and um, i often have to move the window around specifically just for the 
just to see the console at yeah. the bottom. And if I could move it to the side, it would, I'd just leave it there forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, I have a single uh, monitor now, but I used to, to work with, with two, and I had like the, the game running on one and the other running on the other. And that that's a uh, much uh, painless experience, but you don't always have that uh, no. that option, right? You might be on, your, uh, on a notebook, you might be... Uh, I don't know on on the go uh, and yeah if you have yeah. if you have options that that's great and yeah the 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 console is like super tiny <laughs> basically you have to scroll like if you if you get a like if you start printing like crazy you you have to scroll and you, yeah like I don't it's know gone. like yeah. like at yeah. most ten lines that you that you can see no uh, yeah and and also the wider your monitor the the more space you're wasting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. theoretically, you should be getting more well, space, you, but you never you print, can print lines really long lines. Yeah. You can print really long stuff. <laughs> yeah, print all of the objects in the game now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you, you print it uh, like a huge dictionary. You you can print like the the property info dictionary that is usually huge and yeah. probably will fit. In oh, one oh screen. W- wonderful! You know, and then and then, and then my teammates ask me why are you doing that. I go because I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have an ultra wide. Why couldn't I print the properties? <laughs> hmm? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why are you asking such questions? Um, yeah. <laughs> so if this became possible, this is definitely a thing I would do. In fact, if there was an add-on, and you know what, anyone listening, if you feel like making this add-on, if 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 you wish to put a smile on my face, definitely do this. Where it just where you just put the console on the side, that'd be awesome. I'd like that. It might be nice. possible because now we have the dock that couldn't be moved to the bottom dock, and now you you can. I think in four point three you can have. Uh, sorry, the file system dock. File now system you can have dock. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you can have it uh, on the bottom. You know, uh, so you know, maybe yeah. you'll be able to move the console. Like, why why not? Yeah, it's it's super weird though when I, when I think about it because there are different kinds of panels, right? There are panels that you can move. There are panels you can detach. And then there are panels that are always at the bottom. And then there are panels or tabs of the editor that you can also put in the dock or remove from the dock. So so it feels like there are three categories now. But yeah, yeah the, the that, that's probably a, I mean, Godot is actually much older than it looks. So it's not from the time it was open source. It's like, a, I think like, Almost ten years older than than that is from two thousand, no seven. I, I mean, I, I remember uh, Juan Juan Linetsky, uh one of the the founders, uh, posting uh, screenshots in a in a forum here here in in Argentina. Like, I'm creating a game engine, and it's gonna be better than than uh, everything out there. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think no one knew about Unity back then. Uh, probably Unity was already there, but it was not like as usually popular as it is right now. Uh, Unreal was not a, a thing like downloading Unreal. No, no, you had to pay millions uh, for that. Uh, so there were a lot of like small uh, 3D engines. And yeah, something that grew over many years. Uh, there, are probably, uh, there are probably a lot of just legacy stuff. Like it, it made sense at the time and it was, never, yeah. it was never painful enough that uh that they needed to change it and, and now uh 
the project is big enough that they can think, okay, yeah, maybe uh, we can uh, take the effort to do things like let that seem so simple, right? Yeah, because yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. simple. Look, look, <laughs> exactly what you said. It made sense when it was being put in. Right. Yeah, but it sometimes it like, makes sense to change it afterwards. <laughs> but then the yeah. project grows bigger, and suddenly yeah. it would be good to change this. But at the yeah. same time, it's yeah. a bit of a legacy thing, you know. There's some tech debt. Yeah, and yeah. it's just not worth or it some, anymore. Sometimes to it, into it. Sometimes I think it happens that it actually like it might be hard to do because of, of some uh, tech debt, or it might be actually possible, and like no one noticed. Like wait. We can do this now. Oh, look! Let, oh let's my. let's do it. Just, that happens too. You just reminded me. Too. You know, you know, I fixed the bug in the engine that was just like this. By the way, so there was this super weird bug. <laughs> it was a super weird bug. Okay, so there was a super weird bug. Um, you know, when I started using Godot, this was also 2018. I started using Godot in 2018. From 2018, for the first time, I started using it. There was something wrong with the 3D scale gizmo, right? I had complained about it on Discord, various places. The response I usually got was, why are you using the gizmo? Why don't you just change the numbers directly in the inspector? I was like, come on, guys, you, you, can't, you can't be serious. But they were, they were. And, well, uh, well, that's what I tell you about, uh, like, engineers, yeah, yeah. people from other, <laughs> other fields. Like, for, so, so, so for I, them, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does make complete sense Un until you are there as a user with 20 objects that you need to change the scale of and the gizmo actually speeds up your, you know, your workflow, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So I keep on using it for a couple of years. I become better at GDScript. After I become better at GDScript, take a look at the source code, right? And I, and I notice that um, in the source code, there was this issue that, what was it? Oh, yes, I remember. The gizmo, when you start scaling, uh, when you started scaling a 3D object back then, the gizmo was not taking into account the difference of the difference of the distance of the mouse from the origin of the object. I see. Right? So the steps were always the same. And then if you had a big object, the steps kept, kept on increasing um, incrementally, infinitely. So the bigger the object, the bigger it scaled all the time. It didn't just matter. So, so I just put in the, 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 this little improvement. It was a single line. Also, many mistakes I made in the C++ code. Uh, I had people comment on it and, and help me make it actually good and, and actually usable. But basically, it took into consideration the size and the, and the distance of the mouse from uh, the origin of the scaling. And that worked like magic, right? And it was just, I back then I used to joke that I am one of the three only 3D users of the engine because there is no way, no one noticed this issue. If <laughs> they had actually used it. Uh. Yeah, but you, you have to notice it. You have to think about what might be wrong. And, and I, I mean, once you showed that, like maybe everyone reading that was like, oh, yeah. Obviously, that's that's a way to fix it. And of course, you have people that maybe can do the same uh, the same fix in a much uh, cleaner way with, with much more experience with C++. But you noticed like 
what had to be done, like what was wrong with with the the algorithm, basically. What what was wrong with the uh, with the approach? And sometimes, sometimes the most obvious way to do it that doesn't work. So you have to uh, take into account like some some extra stuff, like like. But the, I I worked uh, um, with mobile games, as I told you, and were, those were mobile games for like uh, for small children, and we also had to to consider a lot of. Uh, Stuff like, like for example, okay, it's a kid. It doesn't have fine motor skills. Uh, the, the screen might be really small. So when you when you consider, for example, um, you have an item and you have to make the area where it will detect uh, your finger to be to be uh, to do drag and drop. And uh, so I, I worked on the prototypes using Godot, and then the we had the the, the production team basically uh, implementing that in Unity. The, the whole project was in Unity. I like that workflow. The, That's nice. Yeah, but game designers could choose any tool they they wanted. So I use Godot. Awesome. Another guy used uh, a Flash. Uh, another guy who used like some engine that I can remember because it's like pretty obscure. <laughs> but basically, as long as we could explain how it worked. But sometimes I had to to show like te- technical stuff because then I, I try the game in, in Unity and, and it will be super awful to, to, to play. And then I see the colliders and the colliders have the same size as the object. And it's like, no, but look at, like, this is my finger. And remember, we're talking about kids that are really small. So, so like make a fist and try to move stuff like with a fist and if you can that that's that's fine so like that's so i had to so in, in our technical documentation i had stuff like okay colliders always like at least twice the the bounding box of the object twice or, or three times uh so that also involved like being smart about detecting which one you had to uh to choose uh and all, all sorts of i don't know stuff like that 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 it doesn't. It's not that obvious, and until you start working with that, yeah, and you know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work. Noticing something is a, is a very interesting concept. Um, I yeah. just today I I found out about a PR, uh, a pull request on GitHub, right? So so again, to anyone listening who doesn't know, uh, a PR is part of a process where just b- before a code. A piece of code or a new feature makes it officially into the engine. It first is submitted as a PR. If that is confirmed and approved, it gets merged into the engine. But it can also um, get put away and, you know, just blocked or cancelled. It doesn't really matter. Um, and and one, of, one of these, you, you, you know, just, just like you said, noticing is, a, is, a, is one of the biggest aspects of it. But there is this silent enemy of noticing something at the same time which is just getting used to it right yeah so sometimes you're the issue is right in front of your eyes and once you are experienced enough uh, this is an issue that that i noticed a couple of years ago once you're experienced enough to actually be able what is technically wrong to be able to articulate the issue, to even uh, document the issue properly, by that time, you may have already gotten too used to the issue that you no longer recognize it as an issue. Um, a very cool PR that is super fresh now, and it, and it no, it's not super fresh, but it's been merged in for 4.3, is, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're playing a game, 
um, you know, Godot's got this super powerful uh, ability that you can change things as the game is running. Yeah. If you move anything, it snaps back to the very origin of the world, to the new position that you gave it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So if there's anything in, in, in the world... So let's say that you are editing um, a scene of an enemy, and the enemy has two ear meshes, right? So, so it's got a body and two big floating ears. Now the enemy is running around in the world, and you move the ear. Um, I think... I, I don't remember specifically what the situation is, but in, in one of these situations, you move the ear, and the ear goes to the right position, but in the world position, or in its local position. Oh. Right? And it's a thing that I noticed uh, a hun hundreds of times. But over the years, it grew on me as, yeah, it's just one of those things. Right, I'll just quickly restart the game, try it again, blah, blah, yada, yada, blah, blah. Um, and today I saw that PI and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's that thing I forgot about. Yeah, yeah that, that, I think that is also a problem for like the the Godot contributors because they work with the engine all the time and like they get so used to to stuff like they 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 are they know yeah of course we have this of course we can make this uh, we can fix this using using that so uh for them everything is kind of obvious and yeah it's hard to think about uh like is is this feature intuitive are we forcing the users to do this that is a it's a, it's a pain uh to do like okay yeah the users technically can do what they want but are we providing like the, the best possible uh, way to, to do it? And sometimes it's it's hard to to picture that because you are so so used to. I, I, it happened to me when when some friends started using Godot. They they say, okay, how, how do do I do this? And for me, it was like, yeah, but that, that's free. Yeah, it's obvious and, and easy. And <laughs> when they mention it to you, it's like. Oh no! And yeah, now I remember that I struggled with it, <laughs> or, or like, okay, no, it's not that obvious. No, it could absolutely. Be. And, and um, they say like, but why isn't it like this? And 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 sometimes you 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 try to say like like, well, because uh, I don't know, it's been like this for a long time, or I don't know. And then you think like, no, you're right, you're right. Like, you, yeah, we we should. Lisandro, fix this. <laughs> you always say things that remind me of 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 long-standing issues that I have forgotten about. Right, so. One of these things exactly is getting 3D particles to do anything, right? So in Unity, you add a 3D particle to your hierarchy, boom. There's, a, there's an emitter, it's already doing something, particles are dropping, they have a bit of a default settings going on, right? In, in Godot, 3D particle, you add a 3D particle load, nothing. Okay. You add the emitter, still nothing you have to add a mesh that it's supposed to be emitting. Now you see mesh, right? Now you, you do see that mesh being emitted. However, it has no material. So now you need to apply the material. Now, do you apply it as material override or do you apply it on that mesh? Um, to, a, to a beginner, all of these extra steps, because this is three steps overall, right? And they're not straightforward when you're creating a, a particle process material am i going to be creating a particle process material or a particle shader 
right? If I'm a complete beginner, I have no idea what what, what either of them mean. Yeah, um, same, same like thing the, for the, the other the usual, thing. The usual, like, like, I think everyone complains, like, how do I create a cube with collisions and, and Oh, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I've been asking yeah. people These for... These really uh, simple, straightforward things. I just want to get that in there. <laughs> yeah. In fact... And, oh. and maybe that, that's the kind of thing that, that maybe, I mean, uh, mm. maybe doing that is like, okay, we have to add, like, a special menu. And, and maybe, they, like, they, you ask the contributors and they think, okay, well, just create a scene with that and then, like, reuse it. But for the users, like you have to already know how to use that, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's not That's necessarily the, the, the most uh, comfortable thing. Like when you're prototyping, you don't want to to say, okay, I have to create a new scene. I have to know that it has to be like this or that a root node. Uh, okay, now then I have to add the uh, collision shape. Then I have to add the the shape. I have to know the resources are shared. So if I duplicate that collision shape node, it will it will use the same shape. So I then Scale it Shared and the resources. other one scales. Oh, we have too many topics to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. Now, you are making me think that creating an add-on that is basically like a toolbox that makes these basic things that are a pain in the butt to set up uh, a single-click operation would be a great idea. Truly. Really. Imagine, I, I don't know how often you set up particles. I, I use them all the time in my games, right? And if I had a single button, and that button would create uh, a default particle setup with unique resources for everything, and then I can go in and change them as I need, it would save me time, actually. That's awesome. Yeah. We should we should that, tell that, someone like Raphael, you know. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's something that you also have to, like, if you are working on the editor and people ask you something like that, it's like, okay, we have the editor that, like, shares basically some of the code with, with the way things work in runtime. So if, if I create a particles node, it will basically do the same thing as if I were creating that, uh, uh, like, in a running project, right? If I do, like, uh, um, particles, uh, what, uh, what's the the name of uh, 3D particles uh, dot new. I That's create a new particle. I see what you're saying. It will I do the same. So, yeah. so yeah. now I have to think. Okay, if they are doing it in the editor, okay, I will have. I have to populate populate that with uh, with default values, or do, do I show a pop up and you choose between a, an empty one and a one with uh, default stuff? Uh, it, that's yet another click, another pop up to to create. So. Uh, I understand that, they, that uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not just like add a bunch of menus and that's it. As an add-on, it might be easier because that's a separate thing. So you don't have to, to think about any I shared... I never uh, considered uh, this point of view. Yeah, the fact that you can also do it through code means that if it happens a certain way in editor, the users may create an expectation of how that is going to behave in the game. Right. So if in yeah, the editor... you also have to handle it in code. You have to handle Absolutely. the different use case. Like the editor has to Absolutely. do one thing. And, and if I do it uh, through GScript, it has to work in a different way. And you also have to tell users it's yeah. going to work uh, in a different ways because you don't want, 
uh, if you sort of want to create like a particle emitter, you don't want to create the emitter with a bunch of resources that you will have to remove and uh, remove from memory. So you also have like performance concerns to to think about. So okay, we want uh, particles to work one way when we in runtime and yeah, another way in the editor. But we also want that to be comfortable for the user. So it, it is a difficult problem to, to solve. I I give that to uh, to the um, yeah, team. Clearly, clearly, either it's going to be an add-on or where you are adding a new node, there are two categories, right? Bare-bone nodes or template nodes, right? You know, if something like that could be added... Then yeah, it could probably be something like that. You, you know, so that you always get the bare bones implementation all the time, just like you do now. But there's also the option of just give me a cube, please, with collisions. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like those lines. But yeah, yeah, but regardless, um, yeah. I have immensely I'm enjoyed thinking, this, <laughs> by the way. I'm thinking now, like, you you create and, like, add a new node, and mm. it has, like, a template section. Yeah. Right. So, uh, in the same way that you can say, okay, create a new, uh, I don't know, rigid body. You also have like a create a new uh, ball with physics, and Absolutely. you have that as a template. And it already shows you like, okay, it's the rigid body yeah, with, yeah, with all the yes. tree. Yes. And you just yeah. like click from there. It also gets saved as a favorite. Like Absolutely. That, that could work. And now, now imagine, that is, that imagine, imagine that if you. Work. And I think that this could be, in fact, I think this could be even educational. Because if you click on a ball, right, you just want to get ball with physics, right? Um, it would also show you what components it has, what 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 it's what it's created, what it's made up of. So a person looking into how to use Godot, how to create a a, a rigid body cube, would find out through this, right? Yeah, yeah, because you also need to to know exactly how you have to arrange everything because Godot is really flexible. It is that, that, super that flexible. Sometimes people ask me, okay, how do I create, like, I want a, a, an area that triggers something. Do I put the sprite inside the area or the area inside the sprite? And it's like, well, you can do both. And they have different, like, uh, advantages and disadvantages. So, so, yeah. so tell, yeah. me a, tell me a bit, uh, a bit more. Uh, it's hard because if you're a beginner, like you want the right way, the one way to do things, because it's confusing no if you have to. Way. And yeah, it's hard to be flexible and at the same time, like uh, provide, like like you don't want the engine to tell you you have to do it this way yeah. because you're also telling users, yeah. okay, you, this is the the only way it it works. But I guess for a beginner, it's like okay, I need a cube. Like here, you have a cube. Yeah. Uh, one, yeah. Once you are more familiar with the engine, you you'll know that you can do it in a different way. So, yeah, there would be you know even even a little piece of information which is uh, just remember this is not the only way you can do this, but you know it's just uh, a template that we're giving you, a preset that we're giving you for these quick things. Like Im Im imagine, oh, imagine just having a single button for a bean character, right? When you're when you're prototyping, you always do a character body, which is a uh, yeah a character body with a with a beam collision and a and a and a cylinder um, and a what, what is it called a, a capsule right capsule mesh yeah. capsule collision shape you always do that always every single time you, you you never go around that 
Um, I like this idea. Shall we write a proposal? I think this could be a, a very cool proposal. Yeah, probably. Mm. Or maybe we just have to create an add-on. You know, Guy is really good at add-ons. Maybe if we tell him, he could do that. Yeah, I guess even a, a nice uh, mock-up, uh, like like it would, could convince people that okay, like at least you're showing like this is how we could make it work, and that's already a lot. If you show oh, yeah. a way to make it work that doesn't mean like rewriting half the engine, uh, I think that that is great to to show like the the path uh, yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am now looking at the interface of creating a new node. I know. I I think there could be a tab. You know. I know people don't like tabs, but I think there could be a tab. Or maybe it would be one of the drop-downs, right? Instead of node, there would be presets. <laughs> no, not instead, underneath node, that there, there'd be presets or something. Wild. Yeah, then people are going to want to to have, like, being able to have user presets, right? So. Oh, absolutely. And that is a super powerful thing. You can take any scene. Yeah and create it and turn it into a user preset. Yeah. That's going to be so cool thanks to us. Okay. Anyways, Lisandro, <laughs> <laughs> I have um, immensely enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this special episode about Godot. <laughs> um, where can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on uh, Twitter and uh, Aston. I don't Post that off, but but yeah, uh, at uh, Red Mage Games, that's the one I I usually use for like game related stuff. Uh, um, yeah, mostly mostly there, like for for game related stuff, mostly there or uh, LinkedIn. If they want to to add me on LinkedIn, I'm really happy to to have anyone in the industry or or wanting to work in the industry as a as a contact and help with anything I can. It's fantastic. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. <laughs>